Welcome to the newest installment of My Take Radio Beyond the Mic. My guest this week is Mike Spring, creator and editor of DVDSnapshot.com. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Great. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. I'm good. So let's start with, with, with the most basic question. What is DVD Snapshot and um, what inspired you to create it? Well, um, in order, DVD Snapshot is your basic uh, DVD and Blu-ray news and reviews website. Um, so, you know, if you want to know what's coming out, when it's coming out, what's good to watch, what's not good to watch, you know, we can answer that question for you. Um, <clears throat> what, what inspired me to create it? Let's see. Well, uh, a long time ago, I used to write DVD reviews for another website called DVD Angle, which was very popular. And it, um, it kind of folded about seven years ago. Uh, and... Um, I had been writing for them for about five years and was really addicted to getting free DVDs. Um, so I was like, well, I'm, I'm not going to let that stop. So I just sort of created my own website and, and kind of built it from there. Um, but really what, it, what, it, what kind of inspired the direction of the site, the, the name DVD Snapshot per se, was there's a lot of great DVD websites out there. Um, and, and there's some really fantastic ones other than myself. Uh, but one of the things I've noticed is there's a trend – um, that movie reviews and DVD reviews have to be like eight million words long. Like all these reviews feel like they have to kind of, you know, not only review a movie, but also give you a history lesson on the, the art form of cinema and the history of the great directors and all that. And, you know, and sometimes you just don't have time to read that, you know. So we kind of try to focus on the, the snapshot sort of aspect of it, which is here's a review of a movie, a DVD, a Blu-ray, whatever – you can read it in a minute, maybe two, you know, and then you'll know whether or not you want to watch that movie. I mean, that's really what we're trying to do is kind of give you a way to like sort of quickly, you know, read something quickly, get a good sense of whether you're interested or not, and, and then move on from there. That's a that's a great way to look at it. I mean, one of the things I mean, you know, we, we do our reviews and one of the things I shied away from was exactly what you were saying, which is just that the minutia and so much so much extra stuff that you don't need when people read a movie review they want to know does it suck or does it not <laughs> if i you know if i'm paying 30 dollars to see it you know me and my significant other in a movie theater is the experience worth it so that's one thing i really enjoyed in in visiting dvd snapshot that you guys made it so accessible to the layman because you read your your new york times movie review your daily news review and it's it's the same thing they try to grasp way too much people just want to know if a movie is good and you don't need 15,000 words to tell you that. Exactly. There, there, I have come across reviews in some, some major media outlets where I'll read the entire review and at the end of it I go, yeah, but did you like the movie or not? You know, like you, I don't even know if the reviewer actually liked the film or not because they're so busy talking about other things. And, and so we really work hard to, to just get to the heart of the matter. You know, is this movie any good? Is it worth your money? And if not, here's why. How many people are on the, are on the Snapshot team besides you? Well, it varies from <laughs> from year to year. Uh, at the moment, I have five or six writers who write for me who do reviews and news and stuff like that. Uh, I've had up to ten in the past. You know, it just depends on people get busy and, and stuff like that. But you know, I always keep a good stable of of really talented writers. I think you'll you'll see if you visit the site that all the guys who write for me now are all are all you know talented guys, and and they have each of them has a kind of a unique perspective on movies, and I, and I really like that. You know, I, I know that each of my writers has their own voice. You know, and I can send them. I could send the same movie to two guys and get two very different opinions, but each one of them will make a case for why they feel the way that they feel. And I, and I think that's important. In in approaching your reviews, doing it this way and doing it in, in the snapshot format, how has 
you know, how have the studios reacted to the way you guys do reviews? Are you getting positive feedback? Do you sometimes get, you know, PR reps telling you, hey, you know, why'd you do it this way? You know, we would have appreciated it that way. Have have you been hit with that kind of stuff? Uh, on a on rare occasion, for the most part, I will give the studios credit for one thing, um, and that is that generally speaking, I think they tend to believe that any publicity, you know, is good publicity. So as long as you're reviewing the titles that you're committing to reviewing, you know, as long as you you can review what you say you're going to, they generally will leave you alone. Um, that being said, I've had I've had a few moments, you know, in the past. I've, I've definitely had, you know, you can tell sort of which studio people actually read your reviews and which of them don't because i will sometimes get notes like you know from saying from people saying oh hey you know sorry you didn't like that one you know we, we thought it was a good one or you know glad to hear that you liked this movie stuff like that um for the most part the format of the reviews because we do you know we do keep them short but we keep them in depth enough that it's not like it's a two sentence review I, I haven't gotten too many comments on that i will say that um we tried doing sort of like a mini podcast review format for a while uh, where instead of reading the review, I would kind of do like a two minute audio review, um, which I got mixed results from from the audience. You know, some readers loved it. Some readers hated it. Um, but I, I will say there was one one studio um, that rhymes with Schmizny. Uh, who was not a big <laughs> fan of that uh, format and, and basically said, hey, please don't. Please don't do that format for our reviews, and that's fine. You know, I mean, I respect that. They're, you know, they're entitled to request, you know, however I want to, you know, cover stuff. If it's not an unreasonable request, they don't. They didn't tell me don't give us bad reviews. You know, they didn't say don't be honest. They just said we prefer a printed format. So, so I adhered to that. And and overall, ultimately, I that audio thing, I decided not to stick with it. And you know, we're back to just all you know, written reviews now. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned <clears throat> adding. Um, an audio component because I I've contemplated doing doing the same. So it's funny that you've tried that experiment. I I, I don't I I find it difficult that a studio would shy away from legitimate feedback in in the sense that yeah anybody can write words on a on a screen, but you going the verbal route you can convey that emotion that some people just can't get from text sometimes. So I don't it's weird that they couldn't really embrace that because. If you watch a you know a, a movie like Toy Story and and you want to say that you were enamored with the characters and you found connections with them that that's conveyed so much better from a from an audio standpoint. I mean, you could read it and say, hey, you know, Woody was awesome, but to hear that from somebody it it speaks volumes. I think it's weird. I, yeah, I think so too, and I I think um, especially in this day and age with you know everything on the internet is is video, audio, it's all interactive, you know. So that's why I was trying that out. Um, but you know, I mean, I guess I guess some studios maybe are a little old-fashioned, or maybe they don't see the value of it. They haven't caught on to some things yet. You know, it's they didn't give me a reason, and I don't I don't generally like to challenge the studios that send me DVDs. <laughs> I've never found that to be a great idea. So I just sort of say okay. But that's really, like I said, one of the very few instances where people have ever said anything that to try to influence you know what I do. And like I said, none of the studios have ever tried to influence. You know our actual opinions, which is nice. You know, because I can tear a movie apart if I have to. I try to be constructive usually, but there are times where you just have to say this is the worst movie ever. Um, and you know, uh, no one's ever given me a hard time for that, so I respect that. What's your favorite genre to review? What kind of energy does it take to not let your inner fanboy impact those reviews? 
Uh, well, my my favorite genre to review is is really kind of like your you know sci fi action stuff. I mean, I definitely like popcorn films, and uh, and I like more brainy stuff from time to time too. But I, I certainly do enjoy a good you know big budget blockbuster spectacular that type of thing, and and low budget spectacular stuff too as well. Um, as for my inner fanboy. Boy, I don't know. I don't know if my fanboy is all that inner, to be honest with you. I tend to wear my opinions on my sleeve, and um, you know, I get excited about stuff. And and sometimes that does impact the review. I mean, there's definitely been times where there's a movie that I'm hyped to see, and and I've heard good things about it, and you know, I'm all excited to watch it, and then it's a letdown. And you know, that can be difficult sometimes. And you and you try to go into every movie open-minded, you know, with no expectations. But I just don't think that's really particularly realistic, especially in this day and age, where between Twitter and Facebook and the internet and everything else, you just you're so inundated with people's views and opinions and news about things. It's hard not to sort of get some semblance of a, you know, of an expectation going. But you know, for the most part, I do try and watch everything. You know. Even even handed, and I've definitely been surprised as well. Sometimes you're let down. Other times you go in with lower expectations, and you find out that you love a movie. So that's so that's kind of how I approach things. In doing all all the reviews you've been doing, and even just with running uh, a, a pretty much a a full staff, have you gotten instances where you felt that it's become harder to review movies because of the amount of pressure there is for a movie to be successful and the only reason i say that is because you brought you stated you know with regards to twilight on twitter today (laughs) and um the funny thing about that franchise is that it's like anything else based off a book everything nowadays is either a book a comic book or a tv show so in in that respect it has a lot of high expectation do you feel that sometimes just from a a fan standpoint, the reviews are driven to appease the fans, and sometimes the re- the reviews aren't genuinely honest. Yes and no. I mean, I, I think most movie reviewers out there, aside from some of the ones who are clearly getting paid uh, at a very big top, top level, um, I think do try to be honest. But I do think there is a pressure sometimes for reviewers to to fit in with the. Um, the majority, so to speak. So let's talk about Twilight, okay? Because you mentioned it. I may as well throw my credibility right out the window with all of your listeners. I'm sure they're going to, you know, disregard all of my opinions, but... but I, I like the Twilight movies. I don't love them. They're not my favorite movies or anything like that, but I think they're perfectly fine for what they are, which are PG-13 rated vampire movies that are made for teenage girls. And I think that's what people forget, is that the Twilight movie isn't made for you and me and guys nope. like us. You know, they're not made for the, the diehard people who watch Battlestar Galactica every week or who are going to go see, you know, Warrior on opening weekend. They're not made for people like that. And, and so there's this sense I get sometimes that, you know, I think I'm the only critic on the planet who's ever said anything positive about twilight and i believe that there are definitely some people out there who probably don't hate twilight as much as they think they do or as much as they say that they do but the problem is that when you come out in a public forum and say hey you know i thought that twilight movie actually wasn't all that bad everybody beats the crap out of you because i remember when i first put it out on twitter that after the first twilight movie came out that I, i actually enjoyed it and people ripped me to shreds about it and you know which it, for me personally only strengthens my resolve to stand up for it and say, you know, it's you guys need to let it go. Um, but I think there are some people out there who just sometimes maybe feel like, well, I can't really say that. I can't say that I liked Twilight better than you know another movie because, you know, I'll be the only one, or people won't, you know, people will tear me apart for it. So, and I'm not, I'm not 
trying to put myself above any other movie critic. I like to think all movie you know critics have have their standards, and that's fine. But I do get that sense once in a while that it's like, well, let's bash on this because it's popular, you know, or because it's you know it's popular with the teenage girls. Um, but you know, but that's who it's for. You know, if you don't if you don't like the Twilight movies, then then don't go, don't go see them. You know, the, Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart won't care if some thirty six year old guy who's into you know comic books and and superheroes goes to see Twilight or not. You know what I mean? It's just that's not what that's not what the movies are made for. So, well, that 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 response is actually a response that I don't hear often, and that's because exactly what you said. There's that there's that stigma of you know just alienating your audience based on the view and. I'll be a hundred percent honest when I, I, you know, I've gone on air and you know I, I, I do shit on the on the Twilight films, but I only, I do it not because of the plot or because of the presentation of the movie. I do it because it gets to a point where the fans of the film make you hate the film, right? And that happens. You know, you can use the same analogy with Star Wars fans, Star Trek fans. Uh, same things apply where where the fans get so passionate and so crazy that for those of us that just you know want to give an opinion or whatever we can't because it's like oh you know how can you say that like you know i don't i don't hate the films i personally don't need to watch them you know my my fiance watches them she's read the books i took her to see one of the movies and it wasn't you know it wasn't a a steaming pile of shit it wasn't you know i I watched it i'm like all right you know it's not terrible you know the wolves could have looked better you know from a guy standpoint you're like all right they kind of need to look more menacing but then i said this is for the tween set you know this is for the for the young girls that you know they don't want to get freaked out too much and they want something that they can they can kind of call their own so i can i can see where your views stem from that i mean i have one of our writers he decided to rewatch the Star Wars trilogy on Blu-ray, and he liked the Star Wars trilogy, and he ripped his own favorite film to shreds because <laughs> he felt that George Lucas, you know, has become a cash-hungry, a cash-hungry vampire now. Yeah. And instead of making his movies better and striving to evolve past Star Wars, he's turned them into utter dog shit. And you know, that's that interpretation is fine, but that's what I was. When you said that you felt that the movies weren't terrible, I said this is going to be a good conversation only because there's more to it. And in my case, I don't like it because the fans are just insane. <laughs> right, right, which they are. And you know, I guess I just I don't personally, I, I don't I don't hold that against them because I feel like everybody has their thing that they're passionate about, you know. And yeah, it, it's a little crazy. Obviously, these teenage girls and they line up and they scream and they cry and all that stuff. But you know, I mean, it was like that when the Beatles hit. And I'm not comparing Twilight to the Beatles. Let me make that perfectly clear. <laughs> but, you know, everybody has their thing that they're completely over the top for. You know what I'm saying? Everyone's got their one thing where it's like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll play it cool. But if so-and-so was to walk into into a restaurant and I was in there, I'd completely lose my shit. You know what I mean? Like, so... So, you know, that's their thing, and, and, you know, but I understand where you're coming from. It is it is certainly, the furor over it has certainly grown to ridiculous proportions, without a doubt. And it does get to that point when the new movies come out where you can't escape it. And I can see how that can be annoying for people. But I think what, what I, the reason I'm kind of passionately standing up for the Twilight films is because the 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 bile that people spew at these movies online is so ridiculous. They're like, here's my favorite. This is the one I love. People go, Twilight ruined vampires. Okay, last time I checked, 
other vampire stories still exist. It's not like once Twilight came out, they went back and burned every other vampire book or movie that ever came out. No, they're still making them. True Blood, I believe, is still really popular. You know what I'm saying? It's like Twilight didn't ruin anything. Twilight just isn't the vampires that you like. So don't watch those vampires, you know? If you don't like sparkly vampires, don't watch Twilight. Go watch something else. There's a million other vampire movies. So don't don't tell me it ruined vampire. You know what I mean? That's the kind of thing where people are just like, you know, or they're like, oh, the Twilight's the worst movie ever made. I'm like, really? Is it really? Then you've obviously only ever seen three movies because I have seen way worse movies than anything Twilight's ever thrown at me. You know what I mean? Like, there's just, there's so many worse things out there and people like rail against it as if it was like you know hurting people like running over puppies you know it's like it's just it's not that bad you know so that's where i kind of sort of get like a little bit you know up in arms well the 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 fear (laughs) no and and you're justified i think that the furor is that they that people that that love a particular genre don't like to see that genre change then if you're a horror movie fan you don't want to see your vampires romanticized the same way you don't want to see zombies running. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the same type of stuff. So sometimes when I see these people, it's like, are you, are you voicing that negative opinion because you're in love with the genre and you don't want to see it changed, which is fine, but at right. least voice your opinion from that. I mean, you know, I make, I make fun of, um, I make fun of Taylor Lautner all the time. You know, I say he looks like a llama, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't, take away the fact that they made the werewolves look like like huskies I, you know whatever i if i want to see cooler werewolves i'll watch the howling or yeah. i'll watch underworld it, it's i think that the problem is and it's been happening even with zombies now it goes in cycles you know the walking dead everything is zombies now yeah so exactly. eventually i i talked about a film on it on the show and you may or may not have heard about it where they want to do a romantic comedy where the lead is a zombie Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And I said, and you know, I, I ripped it to shreds on the show because I said, this is, this is that moment where Hollywood took five or six ideas, threw them at a dartboard and whatever stuck they went with. Right. Exactly. But that's the thing. It's like you said, it's a cycle because here's what's going to happen. There, there's two more Twilight movies left to come out. And then when they're done, it's going to go away. And something else will take its place. You know, it's it's like you said, like zombies are everywhere now. I mean, th- that's really the case. The zombies are just left and right. Everything is zombie this, zombie that, zombie this, zombie that. Well, guess what? In 10 years, they'll move on to something else. You know, it's one of those things where you just... But again, even if they make bad zombie movies, which they're starting to do now, it, it doesn't make the old zombie movies that are so great suddenly bad you know what i mean it doesn't change the stuff that you love about that genre it's just a version of the genre that you don't like i I got news for you twilight isn't the first bad vampire movie to come out nope there's there's a lot of bad vampire movies out there you know and and there's gonna be a lot more dracula 2000 is one (laughs) yeah you know what i mean like there's just a million of them you know so um you know it's just one of those things. I, people jump on the bandwagon. It's like people, you know, will get online, they rip them to shreds, and then I'll be like, well, you know, you know, what part of like this movie, the third one, didn't you like? Like, oh, I didn't see that one. Well, then how can you talk badly about it? You know, like, I, it, that's just one of those things. Like, I always feel like if you're going to share your opinion, and I'm very opinionated, so I, I'm I'm a big proponent of that. It, you know, come from an informed place, though. You know, I will never badmouth a movie that I haven't seen. You know, I can say, hey, I'm not interested in seeing that movie. Like, The Rum Diary that just came out with Johnny Depp looks like the most awful movie I've ever seen in my entire life. But I can't say that for sure because I haven't actually watched it. I can only say from the trailer, it doesn't look like the type of movie that I'm going to like. You know, so I I just think, you know, I wish more people would be a little more um, informed when they go ahead and and spout opinions. You know, but that's 
that's the joy of the internet, I guess, is you don't have to be informed to, to share your opinions. So, you know, you can't win them all. Well, in in keeping with with talking about book adaptations to to film, how do you feel with the with the recent, you know, just people now they're jumping on the Hunger Games and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo bandwagon? You know, well, what kind of expectations do you have for that, and do you think that that's going to be the new trend now, where they're going to grab, you know, the, these these four and five part books and start converting those to film? I do actually, and and I will say I've been reading the Hunger Games book since the beginning. I read the first one right after it came out, and I'm a huge fan of the books. So I'm not going to lie; I'm ridiculously excited about the movie. Um, you know, because and some people are not because they've read the books and they think the movies are going to ruin them. I, I personally always try to separate between a, a a book and a movie. We just had to switch the recording to cell phone. Uh, Mike was having some problems on Skype, so we are now going to continue the interview. Um, when we last left off, Mike was discussing uh, book adaptations to film, and we were discussing The Hunger Games. So, Mike, take it away with that. All right. Uh, like I was saying, um, you know, I think I think the book companies kind of started it when when The Hunger Games came out. You know, it was the first book was labeled as part one of The Hunger Games trilogy. So, you know, these companies know these book companies now. They're not trying to do one-offs anymore. They're trying to get trilogies and, and stories and, and things going because there's more money in it. You know, there's, you can, there's franchises, there's merchandising. You know, they build a brand automatically rather than just a book that may or may not become a hit. And um, so I think the movie studios are just kind of sort of taking advantage of that. You know, they know that when they adapt this book, you know, like The Hunger Games, let's say, they came out pretty rapid fire. But even if they didn't, they know, hey, not only are we going to get a movie out of this, we're going to get a trilogy. You know, so if it's a hit... We stand to make a lot of money. <laughs> Excuse me, a lot of money, rather than oh, here's a book, let's adapt it, and let's hope that you know it's popular enough, and that the author makes a sequel, and, and you know, so on and so forth. So, so I think everyone's thinking smart to this sort of franchise building um, approach, which you know I think is, is somewhat less risky. Obviously, if the film or the books are a flop, then, I, then there is some risk involved. But you know, it just sort of helps you build an audience and. Uh, you know, and just get a series ready, which is a lot more money because nowadays sequels are not like they used to be back in the old days, where they're you know they're they're crappy and it's money. Nowadays, sequels get kind of bigger and bigger. A lot of times, it's the third or fourth film in a franchise that's highest grossing. So, so you know, everyone's kind of figuring out what's going to make them the most money, basically. How do you feel about a film like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? There was there was so many stories just about casting alone. And where do you see the future of that film now that it's, you know, it's it's so close to release? Well, I mean, I'm excited to see. I like David Fincher as a director very much. I have not read the books. I can't comment on those. I have seen the original um, foreign film versions. Uh, the I think they're Swedish or Norwegian. Norwegian, I believe. Um, the original films from the country that even the author Stig Larsson is from. Um, and they're pretty good. The first one was really good. The second one was pretty good the third one not so great um but uh you know speaking of the casting you know um i'm obviously on twitter we've obviously talked on twitter a lot and i'm a big fan of the format but um i i sort of would really love to see a moratorium on people tweeting and just not just twittering uh, putting on their websites news stories about casting until somebody's actually cast because it's like nowadays there's this whole industry built around you know so-and-so may be cast as, you know, as, as the lead role in this movie, and so-and-so may be cast, and 99% of it turns out not to be true, and it gets really frustrating when you're, you know, the, some of the big ones, like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the casting rumors were rampant, The, the Dark Knight Rises, 
casting rumors were all over the place, and it's like, can we just settle down and wait until someone's actually cast before we report it as news? You know, I mean, that's that's the kind of thing. So I, I was, I get excited about movies very much, but at the same time, I, I tend to wait to get excited until I know what's actually happening. Because when I see a headline, it's like, you know, you know, Kristen Stewart may be the girl in the dragon tattoo. It's like, no, I don't care if she may be. Let me know when <laughs> she is or is not. You know what I mean? Like, that's when I'll care. Until then, I'm not interested because it's all just, you know, it's all just speculation. And, and today was a, a perfect example. I saw an actual headline from a reputable site, a site that I like, and it said, Ricky Gervais may or may not host the Golden Globes. I got news for you. That's not a news story. That's like saying... It may or may not rain today. Yeah, of course. One of those two things is going to happen. That is an absolute guarantee in this life. Either Ricky Gervais will host the Golden Globes or he will not. There's no other possible outcome. So that's not a news story. You know, I may or may not continue to breathe when we finish this interview. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. Not, not news, okay? It's like sports writers saying, you know, the Green Bay Packers may or may not win tonight's game. Well, of course. That's what's going to happen. One of those two things. It makes me, it makes me insane. So... Anybody out there who's listening who writes news for a living <laughs> and has been completely offended by me talking about Twilight and all these other things, please make sure when you write a news story it's actually news, not just fluff. Titled. Yeah, fluff, exactly. Well, it, it's funny that you brought up Christian, uh, Kristen Stewart because one of the one of the news that came out today is, you know, I'm, I'm a huge anime buff, and mm-hmm. I heard that they were going to do a, a film based on Akira. Yeah. and. One of the things I've always I, I've always been frustrated with is when they do movies based on anime or even things of Japanese origin that they like to whitewash the films. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know this happened with the Dragon Ball Z movie, and we know how that went. And uh, <laughs> yeah. and you know with Akira now they're talking about Garrett Hedlund being involved, and then I read today that Kristen Stewart may be involved. And I was I was disappointed, but not shocked, only because casting at this point is based on name on poster versus uh-huh. you know any validity to a character how do you feel about whitewashing in in hollywood and its effect on on foreign films that are starting to be seen here in the u.s well i mean i think it's terrible in general you know on one hand i understand the studios want to bring in you know big name stars on, on the other hand that does not make a good movie of course, most Hollywood studios are not concerned with making a good movie. They're concerned with getting butts and seats and, and making people pay for the movies. And so that's the thing. And it's funny because you say that Garrett Hedlund and Kristen Stewart. And I remember, you know, two months ago, the uproar was, uh, Keanu Reeves might be in, you know, here. Well, at least he's part Asian. You know, <laughs> at least he would be better than, you know, some of these other people. I, I think, you know, look, there are some instances where it's not the biggest tragedy in the world. You know, um, if, you know, there's some, some stories that are a little more generic, but Akira, is so tied into Japan and in this Neo Tokyo world. I mean, that's what the whole the city of Neo Tokyo in Akira is like a character, you know. So, so to me, to make that like Hollywoodized, you know, is is a terrible idea. I mean, I I just, you know, again, I can't form an opinion until I've seen the film, but my expectations for it certainly are not. You know that high. You know that. That being said, there are times when they remake something, they move it from like you know London to like you know California or New York. That, that kind of thing doesn't necessarily bother me as much if there's a, a plausible reason for it. But you know, I, I do think it would be nice if Hollywood had enough faith in their properties to make like a hero movie and cast you know Asian actors in the roles who are 
best suited for the parts and rely on the strength of, you know, the filmmakers and the spectacle of the movie. Because Akira is going to be, obviously, a very special hidden film. You know, go with a film like that, the, you know, with unknown actors and, and you know, rely on the strength of the filmmaking and the characters and the storytelling and the special effects to get people in the, in the seats and not, um, you know, not big names. Because, you know... I, and I hate to sound like one of those people, but I remember the last time that someone did that really, really well. There's this little movie called Star Wars that came out, and nobody knew who anybody in it was except for Alec Guinness. He was the biggest name in that movie, and and you know it did okay for itself, you know, because it was an awesome film. So like, I, I wish people could kind of get back to that mentality and say, you know, we can cast Akira with all Asian actors, and if the movie is awesome, people will go to see it, you know. Um, I mean, even the Lord of the Rings films, you know, yes, there were some main actors in it, you know, like, like Viggo Mortensen and Sean Astin and Elijah Wood, but none of them were really box office draws, you know what yep. I mean? Like, Elijah Wood wasn't tearing up the movie charts, you know, but Peter Jackson cast the people who were best for the roles, and, you know, and as a result, I mean, the movies obviously were humongous hit. So, yeah, I wish Hollywood would sometimes be a little more of a slave to the creative rather than just the money-making. But realistically speaking, do I think that's going to happen anytime soon? Probably not. Yeah, I think that they're that they're going into uh, name recognition and and plot takes a backseat. And then when plot doesn't take a backseat, the properties that they decide to give the big screen treatment usually are just films that you're asking yourself why are they you know like like a, a film we make fun of a lot on air is the battleship movie because <laughs> the, the the concept it makes no sense then you right. know now they're doing an asteroids movie then they're doing a where's yeah. waldo movie and i'm like okay i understand <laughs> that there's a, a lack of creativity but have we really hit bottom yet <laughs> sadly i don't i don't think we've actually hit bottom yet i think we're close but <laughs> but not yet. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, you know, stuff like that is, is. You just. I don't even know what to think of movies like Battleship. You know, uh, on the one hand, it's ridiculous. On the other hand, I'd be lying if I said there weren't parts of the trailer that I thought was cool if it wasn't called Battleship. You know what I mean? If it was right. just called, you know, Aliens Land in the Ocean, then I'd say, hey, that movie looks kind of awesome. You know, for a, a good, you know, mindless two-hour popcorn flick. So. Oh. No, it's it's just it's all marketing nowadays, you know. That's simply, I think, that's just a function of hey, we can probably get ten percent more people in the to come in the audience by calling it Battleship and tying it into this game that people remember from their youth than just by calling it, you know, Alien Part Seven, you know, that type of thing. So, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, my hopes aren't necessarily that high. I just I like to I like to think that that hopefully. Somebody beyond the marketer, somebody involved with the making of the film at least, is passionate about their film and they believe that they're doing something good and, and that maybe it'll turn out okay. You know? I mean, the Pirates of the Caribbean, let's just that. Now, granted, Pirates 2 and 3 are some of the worst atrocities ever put to film, but the original Pirates of the Caribbean was a great movie, you know? And it was based on a Disney ride that nobody expected anything from. So there are instances where I think a film overcome the source material if it's done well. Well, of course, the popularity of that ride translating to film made them want to do the uh, the one based on the ghost ride with Eddie Murphy, yeah. which was, <laughs> you know, so, so they, they take these formulas and they start off so well and they're like, all right, this works. And then they just go, all right, let's just run with it, which is something that's been troubling for me also as, as a comic book fan, because now it's, oh, let's pluck every obscure comic book and graphic novel we can and mm -hmm. churn it out into the theater. And then when it fails, we ask ourselves why. I mean, one character in particular that 
I feel Hollywood just does – well, two characters are Wolverine and the Punisher, mostly because Wolverine yeah. is – Wolverine has to be one of the most violent characters in the Marvel Universe. Right. And you watch X-Men's or, X-Men Origins Wolverine and you're like, wow, did this really just happen? The, yeah. <laughs> I, like I understand you want to sell toys to kids, but it, you, you know you basically cut the cut the balls off this character. Right. It it yeah. It's kind of unfortunate, I guess. And I, I think you know, in an ideal world, it'd be nice if they could do two movies back to back. You know, a PG movie for for the kids, and then an R-rated movie for the adults who understand that Wolverine is a violent character. I don't know why they can't get the Punisher right. It's not even that tough of a concept. You know what I mean? Like it should be easy to make a Punisher movie, um, but but they're all terrible. And you know, and they even make them R-rated, and they're still terrible. So I, yeah. I don't know what's going on there, but they can't ever seem to get that property in. in out of terribleness at all. Although I will say, if you have not seen Punisher Warzone, I have. there's a scene. Have you seen it? Punisher Wars. I, I as second. much as much shit as that movie gets, I thought that that was the most faithful representation of the Punisher I have seen. It probably was, but I do have to say, for anyone who hasn't seen it, the scene with the rocket launcher and the guys doing parkour is, for my money one of the greatest movie moments in the history of cinema. I mean, that I always tell people, go to about halfway in the movie and watch for the guys running across the rooftops and the rocket launcher scene because you'll laugh your ass off. That, that to me, is just sheer brilliance. <laughs> oh, I, I found that I laughed just because the sound effects that were used, because I said to myself, I guarantee you somebody threw a melon at a sidewalk. <laughs> when, yep. <laughs> when that sound effect happened, and and it's funny because that movie was panned, and it's like for for a, for a comic fan, they go, "Wow, that's really, that was really good." It, it, right. it you know, and it boils down to when when Scott Pilgrim came out, I group it in that same category. It was so well done and so perfect, but it wasn't embraced by the community, by the film community as much as something like say The Expendables, because you right. know, of course, that was marketed on 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 our on our nostalgia. And, right. you know, it just, poor Scott Pilgrim just didn't have a chance. And, of course, now it gets a second life. But I... You know, I'm going to go out there and say that I respect the filmmaking that went on behind Scott Pilgrim. I think it, the film looks great. But I totally get why it didn't connect with people. I did not really like the film that much. And I know as a comic book fan and as a movie geek, like, it, I was so excited to see it. It, it looked so awesome. And I watched the movie, and the whole time... I was like, ah, I just don't love this movie. And I, I I can't even quite put my finger on what it is about it that I didn't love. So here, I, I really shot my credibility because I liked Twilight and I didn't like Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. So I'm <laughs> sure most people, I apologize, people are turning off the, the, the broadcast. But um, it, just, it didn't work for me, that movie. I, I think that it was Michael Sarah, and not because I don't like him, but I felt like the character of Scott Pilgrim was kind of a douchebag. And... And I guess I guess that's part of him in the comics. I haven't read them, um, but he made me not like him. And, and I, I I have a thing about unlikable characters, and so I, I think that Scott Pilgrim is kind of held up on this this pedestal. And people say, "Oh, the mainstream didn't get Scott Pilgrim," and I go, "Ah, maybe they did, and it just isn't that good." But that's just me. Obviously, I'm in the minority on that. For the people who have seen it, no. I know a lot of people love that movie. But you're not. You're not it. You're not in the minority, and I'll tell you why. I sat in a theater with one of our other writers, my fiance. We all went, we watched it together, and I left the theater emotionless. And I, uh -huh. I you know, my buddy was like, All right, you're going to review it, right? And I'm like, Yeah. So I reviewed it, and he was like, Wow, I was shocked with that review just based on how you watched the movie. And I said, right. My problem was, you know, my, Michael Sarah's 
not a likable guy. He's not a likable actor. He never right. has been. Everything he plays is always like a quirky, weird, kooky guy. So when you see him in something where he's really not that kooky, it just doesn't feel right. So right. that connection with him overall, you know, all the all the nods to the stuff from my childhood and all the geeky moments were fantastic. But it took yep. repeated viewings for me to finally enjoy that movie. Right, right. Well, so there maybe maybe that's what I need to do is go back and watch it again. I've only seen it the one time, but I can say that it definitely um, it definitely didn't didn't work for me personally. So, well, to shift gears a little bit, I wanted to ask, and this is something that I'm sure as a as a film critic is is something that you probably have a, a lot to say, and that's the resurgence of 3D. <laughs> yeah. Um. 3D, boy howdy, where do I begin? Um, I'm I'm not a fan of, of 3D. I'll tell you, and I don't I don't dislike it in terms of the format itself. You know, it's not say I hate watching movies in 3D. I I think, you know, and I don't think this is an opinion that's particularly revolutionary at this point. I felt this way for kind of quite some time now. Um, I I think they really have over they've kind of killed it already. And I think that they really needed to be a little more selective about what was what was 3D worthy and what was not. You know, um, you know, the first couple times it was kind of cool. There are some movies like Avatar, Tron Legacy, you know, that, that looked great in 3D and kind of I understood like they deserve 3D. You know what I mean? But now it's like, you know, Steel Magnolias 3D, and you're like, I really, I it just doesn't. Not every movie has to be 3D, and I think they found that when they started putting out all these horror movies and all these other things that people just didn't care about, whether it was in 3D or not. I mean, I think it should be an event, you know. That, all that being said, I also don't like to pay extra for 3D, and it's not because I'm cheap. I just, you know, these movie studios and these movie you know, theater chains aren't exactly cash poor, you know, and then they're charging like $4 extra for, you know, for 3D, and then they put it on the 3D IMAX, and where I go to the theater, we don't have a real IMAX screen, we have one of these fake IMAX screens, where it's like 8 feet wider, and they call it IMAX, and they charge you another $3, so the time you're done, it's like 17, 18 bucks for one ticket yep. for an IMAX 3D show, and I'm not down with that, so my my kind of policy is, if the movie showing in 2D and 3D, I will go see it in 2D, with a few exceptions, um, I get to go see Tron in 3D, unless I can't see it in 2D. And then if it's a movie I want to see, I'll pay. I ended up having to see 4 in 3D. It wasn't my choice, but the the, the Fandango printed strong, and by the time that I was there with my wife to see 4, it was it was in 3D, and the next show wasn't like two more hours, and I was seeing a babysitter, so I said, All right, we'll go see it in 3D. Um, you know, it was fine, actually. It looked fine in 3D, but I, I certainly don't. You know, I was mad. You know, I don't like to have to pay extra for it. I just feel like, you know, either you make your money on the increased ticket sales because it's in 3D, or, or you don't, but don't charge me extra, especially if there isn't an option to see it in 2D. That particularly bothers me. You know, if you're going to give me the choice and charge me extra, that's one thing, but that, that's the only way I can see a movie, and I can't I can't choose to see the lower, you know, paying version of it. That, that gets me a little indignant. So, um yeah, I think 3D is kind of already killing itself, and I think it's going to go back to being a novelty sooner rather than later. Well, it's it's funny you say that because I was in a similar predicament that like you with Thor, but for mm-hmm. me it was with Green Lantern, and I saw Green Lantern uh-huh. in 3D, and I'm like, really, really, they put this in 3D, and I paid all this extra money. But right. then I went to see Transformers: Dark of the Moon, and I actually got to see that in 3D IMAX, and uh-huh. you know my eyeballs were on fire. 
because it was right. it was it was amazing. So you know, I I I agree a hundred percent that you need to reserve that for movies that you know, like Transformers, definitely Tron, Avatar. Yeah. Great. Yep. You want to do something, you know, gimmicky for like Piranha 3D, that's fine because that's not a film that takes itself seriously. But right. to go back to what you were saying, you know, to take something like, you know, Steel Magnolias is 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 a funny example to use, but t- taking something like Clash of the Titans when they did the 3D in post-production uh-huh. and you just ruined ruined any integrity of that film. Like I saw it in 2D and I said to myself, if I would have seen this movie in 3D, I would have thrown a cup at the screen. <laughs> yep. Yep. And even things like putting like the last Harry Potter in 3D, to me it was kind of like I haven't seen any of the other films in 3D. Why do I need to now see, you know, one movie in 3D? Like that's just a cash grab. You know what I'm saying? Yep. These films have made billions of dollars as is because they're good and people like them. You don't need to go for the gimmick. You don't need to add the 3D. I understand why Piranha and and God help me, Shark Night 3D, which I did actually watch in 3D. Don't ask me why. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was horrible too. It's actually one of the worst movies. Let me tell you, you want to talk about a movie that's worse than Twilight, I got one for you. Shark Knight 3D, one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, that being said, um, you know, so even things like Harry Potter, like I said to me, are cash grabs. You know, Transformers, definitely. You know, Avatar, Tron, those are about the only three I can think of off the top of my head. Everything else is perfectly fine in 2D, you know. So we'll see what happens. But I think it's going to kind of knock itself out and be reserved more for, you know, um, the, the the big really needs it once and, and the kids animated ones I get that because I think for kids it's still cool to watch a movie in 3D they still think it's super neat and I'm okay with that yeah my, my buddy took his his daughter to see The Lion King and right. he said he said he was like dude it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen and and yep. and that that validates that particular thing which leads me into something else which i've been meaning to ask you because you review blu-rays and dvds also how do you feel now that blu-ray is is pretty much slowly pushing dvd out the door but it's getting to the point where we're getting double and triple dips of so many films you know that's a loaded question i mean it's a great question but it certainly is one i have a I have different thoughts on. First of all, let me say, I love Blu-ray. I love it, love it, love it. If you have a high-definition television and you don't have a Blu-ray player, you are doing yourself a major disservice because the high-def Blu-rays look so much better than DVDs. I love the format. I'm completely addicted. I, I hate watching movies on DVD now. Um, I really do. I can't, I can't stand it, especially if it's a movie that I know is on Blu-ray and for some reason I didn't get the Blu-ray but only the DVD. That makes me angry. Um, that being said, the double and triple dipping, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an unfortunate side effect of the industry that I don't think will ever go away because the studios, you know, they're going to keep repackaging Evil Dead 2 because people are going to keep buying Evil Dead 2 no matter how many times they put it out. Do I love that practice? No. I wish they'd make one good version of it, you know, um, and just and, and be done with it, you know. Um, it's it's frustrating, you know. I've I've now reviewed It's a Wonderful Life on home video for the third or fourth time. I think I just did the wow. new the new Blu-ray gift set version of it, and they still can't manage to get more than twelve minutes worth of extras on there. And I'm like, okay, so you have here one of the most beloved films of all time, and you can't even get a commentary track or, or like a documentary about it. But, you know, and eventually they will. When they need more money, they'll they'll pay someone to put out an hour long documentary and they'll slap it on. They'll call it a new anniversary edition, you know. Um 
so I, I don't love that, you know. Um, that being said, I do tell people, and I also, I've said this in many review, you know, if you already have the previous version, you don't need to buy this one. Or, or you do. I mean, that's, All right, Mike, so, Mike and I had some connection issues were back on and we were discussing the evil dead 25th anniversary edition and double and triple dipping right so evil dead 2 has been on you know home video 18 different times it seems like and they just put out a new version the 25th anniversary edition on blu-ray and so you know now it's Lionsgate. before that it was anchor bay and and so this is one of those cases where it might be worth the upgrade. The last version from Anchor Bay that came out, people were not happy with the transfer. They didn't like the look of the film, the way it was, you know, the way it sounded. They weren't happy with the technical side of things. So Lionsgate has remastered it and put it out. Uh, and from all accounts and from what I've seen, it looks and sounds a lot better. And so then on top of that, they added a whole bunch of all new extra features. So there's a case where if you're a diehard fan of this film, you know, you might want to pick that up because it's better sound and quality, you know, sound and picture quality, and it has a whole bunch of new extras that you can watch. So that to me is worth, is worth the upgrade, you know. But other times where it's like, hey, we added a new commentary and everything else is exactly the same. To me, that's kind of like, well, then you have to decide as the fan, you know, what's, it, what's worth it for you? Do, you. do you spend your money and buy every single version and have every single supplement, or do you just kind of wait or, you know, find the one that you like the best and decide that you're happy with, with what you've got? You know, that's kind of how I approach it. But, you know, me personally, as long as I, I – my main thing is I want the film to look and sound as good as possible. So a Blu-ray versus a DVD, the upgrade for me is a no-brainer um, because, you know, I know I'm going to get better picture and sound on a, on a Blu-ray. Um, you know, a, a new edition DVD or like a second version of a Blu-ray with more special features, eh, it really depends on what it is. You know, I have to really love the film and want to watch those extras, you know, to make it worth the, the, the upgrade. Yeah, I was in, in in referencing what you were saying with transfers. I was very disappointed with Gladiator's transfer, just because mm -hmm. I'm such a huge Gladiator fan. And then on, on a on a on a separate note, I'm uh, I'd like a double dip of Kill Bill so they could give me the Japanese version. So I fall in that same camp as you. And in, in in when it's applicable, it's great. And when it's not, then just get the version that satisfies your needs. Yep, exactly. Well. The the last bit of uh the the last bit of questioning I had for you was with regards to you know your your new design for the site and uh, what I really wanted to get into was you've been doing this now how many years have you been work doing active work with DVD snapshot now? Well, I've been running I've been reviewing DVDs for twelve years and I've been running DVD snapshot for almost seven years. In in the seven years that you've that you've been running DVD Snapshot, have you focused on trying to uh, monetize it and make it a business, or do you just enjoy being able to deliver passionate and honest content about a medium that you enjoy to the masses? Mostly, it's a labor of love. I'll be honest with you, um, and that's partially because the advertising world, you know, nowadays to, to make real money advertising, you know, you have to be if you, you know, millions of, of hits, uh, you know, every month, which, which we don't do. Well, we've got a pretty sizable reader base, you know, and we, we have a very loyal readership, but, you know, I, I'm not at the level of like, you know, some of, some of your big, big, big IGN, you know, you go, all those types of websites that are getting millions of people through. So that's, that's tough to make money on, on that level. Um, by the same token, though, you know, I, I do love what I do. I mean, I do it as a labor of love. I love movies. I love writing about them. I love watching them. Um, you know, I really like to share my opinions, and that's really what drives, you know, um, doing what I do. I mean, you know, I, I feel like – 
um, you know, on the one hand, again, not I would never impugn anybody's credibility, but, you know, there are a lot of websites that do a lot of advertising, and, and you know, I don't think anybody necessarily lets that influence them, but by the same token, my site, you know, we don't do advertising, and so every I'm kind of free to say whatever I want. I don't ever have to worry about pissing off an advertiser. Um, and I think that's the case for most review sites. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to take away from anybody else out there, but, um, you know, we're a hundred percent opinionated and, and, you know, we'll, we'll tell you how it is about a movie, whether it's good, bad, ugly, or anywhere in between, you know? So yeah, I'd love to monetize it. I mean, I would love people to start giving me tons of money to advertise on the site, but it's never been my, it's never been why I do the site. I've always been able to maintain it without advertising. And there's something kind of nice about that. You know, there's no pop-ups, there's no banner ads, there's no nothing like that. When you come to DVD snapshot, you just get reviews and news and, you know, celebrity interviews and giveaways and that type of stuff. But, you know, there's never um, all this extra stuff that you don't want to have to deal with, you know? So, so that kind of makes us, you know, I think that's a part of the reason some people do like us. So, so part of me wants to hold on to that, and part of me at the same time says, "Sure, it would be nice if somebody wanted to hand me a pile of money." <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, yeah, hosting hosting isn't cheap, and that goes into the the second part of this question. In the seven years now that you've been doing it, and the the labor of love that you've dedicated to this site, what do you feel was one of your crowning achievements since doing DVD snapshot? Like you can sit back and and look at your your overall career with the site and what's one moment that you say, wow, I can't believe I got to do that doing this. Hmm. That is a very good question. Um, you know, I think if really, if I, if I was going to nail it down, I don't think I nailed it down to one thing, but I, I will say we do get to do a lot of interviews, you know, with, with the stars and the directors promoting, you know, their films. Um, I just interviewed Robert Patrick, who obviously is best known as the, the T-1000 and Terminator 2. Um, I've interviewed, you know, Dennis Leary and William Shatner and Leah Thompson and just, I mean, a ton, dozens and dozens of great, really cool people that I've, I'm a big fan of, you know, and that I've, I've always enjoyed their work. I get to talk to them. I have an upcoming interview with um, Rennie Harlan, who directed nice. you know, Cliffhanger and Die Hard 2. Um, you know, so that's really great. You know, I get my 10 minutes, you know, with these people and, um, and that's certainly not, not an easy thing to, to, to people always, how do you get these interviews with all these stars that you talk to? And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, that's, that's a function of the site. You know, I deal with PR people on a daily basis. You know, they bring the opportunities to me and I, and I take them, but you know, that, that's been a really fun part of it. And it's one of the things that I'm very proud of. You know, I get to say, you know, Hey, you know, I, I talked to Dennis Leary today. That's pretty cool. I've been a fan of his, you know, for years. And so, um, so that's really something that, that I, I think is a personal, you know, achievement for me is getting to be able to kind of, you know, and just having people, you know, some of the people that I talk to, some of the celebrities I talk to really respond to, um, you know, the interviews, Robert Patrick, I just interviewed him and, and, you know, one of the questions I asked him, he was like, that's a really good question. And he like genuinely was impressed with my question. And I thought, you know what? That's that's pretty cool, you know, <laughs> like because I, you know, these guys do these interviews all day long, and uh, you know, it's not very often I think they get asked something they don't get asked very often. So it's nice when I can kind of, you know, uh, not stump them so to speak, but just sort of give them a moment where they know that I'm actually interested in them and I'm not just, you know, journalist number three hundred and seventy-two asking questions that I don't I don't care about, you know. Oh, that's that's a that the the way you played it is is one of the the things that and one of the reasons why I wanted to to talk to you because I, I've, I've seen your interviews and I've read some of them, you know, I read the ones mm -hmm. for, uh, Batman, the animated series. Yep. Um, yep. and you know, I like Kevin Conroy and all that, just being a, a comic fan. So seeing that and, and the way you present it, 
it, it feels good to see somebody who's a fan of the of the actor or the person's work in some capacity versus somebody just trying to get a soundbite for a site. And, you know, I wanted to commend you on just being genuine with that and presenting it honestly, which yeah, I'm sure you've interviewed a few of them, which have proven awkward, which was the <laughs> next thing I was going to tell you, you know, who thus far in all the interviews, who is your most awkward? Oh, uh, boy. Um, well, first, let me say thank you. I appreciate that. I actually do have a policy, um, and I do offer all, all the interviews to my writers as well, but I personally will not interview somebody if I'm not interested in talking to them or in their project because I feel like it shows, like you said, and it's just a soundbite at that point. So mm -hmm. whenever I, I've turned down a lot of interviews with people, I mean, I passed off, I'll be honest, I passed off interviewing Spike Lee to one of my um, reviewers, not because I don't like Spike Lee, I just... The project he was promoting, I wasn't that interested in, and I had a reviewer, one of my writers who I know is a big fan of his, and I just said, you go ahead and talk to him, you know, because I'm just not, you know, not that into him, you know, whereas other people I get really excited. I interviewed Bruce Boxleitner not very long ago, and I'm a huge lifelong Tron fan, so for me that was like, you know, it was amazing, you know, so so I do make it a point to only review people that I'm I'm personally interested in, and to interview people that I'm interested in. Um, most awkward interview, hmm. Let me think. You know, I'll be honest. Most of the interviews that I get are, are pretty good. I have been um, very pleased with most of them. And I, I will say a couple of them have stood out. Jared Padalecki from Supernatural. I'm a huge Supernatural fan. Um, he's one of the nicest guys I've ever interviewed. He was, he was actually apologizing to me, to me for making me wait because he was filming a scene on Supernatural and came, like, off the set onto the phone to talk to me and was like, dude, I'm so sorry I made you wait. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, so that, that was a great experience. Um, awkward. The one that stands out for me the most that I can think of is um, Matt Reeves, who directed Cloverfield oh, and yeah. let me in. A very nice guy. Awkward isn't the right word, but he's, he's so intellectual and he's so smart that, you know, I had a list of my usual list of like 10 to 15 questions. I only got to ask him three questions because each answer was like five to eight minutes long. Like Holy he has so cow. much to say and he talks like a mile a minute and he's just like, da -da 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 -da. and you can't even like, you try to interrupt him to like, to get your next question in or, or to, you know, and he's just, he, he's just, he's got a lot to say and he wants to say it. And like I said, very nice guy. I don't, I'm not trying to disparage him at all. It was a great interview, but it was like, he's so intellectual that it's hard to actually kind of have a conversation. You know what I mean? Because he, He's got so much to say. You know? So that was kind of interesting. It's different, you know? In, in order for you to get these interviews, I'm sure, you know, dealing with PR, PR has its, up and down, its ups and downs. I mean, I've dealt with a few for some of the stuff we do. Um, mm -hmm. the, the, the setup for you to get your interviews usually, you usually go through the PR and then you call them on Skype, record it, and then transpose it to text? Or how do you, you know, yeah, what's I mean, the thought process for it? It's, it's generally, that's what it is, is, is that uh, the PR people say, hey, we have so-and-so available for an interview. Are you interested? And I'll say yes or no. And if I, am, if I say yes, then it falls through. And, <laughs> and then half the time it doesn't, and I get to actually talk to those people. And they usually um, call, uh, actually usually do it on the phone, and I usually record it, you know, um, through a process that I've set up. Um, I'll do one of two things. I'll, I'll transcribe it to a text interview, or lately what I've been doing is kind of putting the audio from the interview to... Um, some images, you know, usually of that, a photo of the actor, you know, a photo of the project they're promoting, stuff like that, and kind of making a little sort of like video interview out of it that you, you know, you can listen to mostly, but it's got like a little picture that you can look at at least. So um, that way people can actually hear them talk too. You know, I feel like that's always good. Kind of like what we were saying earlier about with the audio, you can really get the passion across. You know, I think, um, 
it's really cool to hear some of these celebrities, you know, actually talk themselves and, and you know, um, like Robert Patrick, for example, a good example, kind of has a little bit of like a southern drawl almost. Well, you never expect that because he always plays these tough, hard-nosed military characters, you know, and then he talks and he's real kind of, you know, laid back, talks kind of slow, like, you know, just sort of ambles along this conversation. And that's something I didn't expect. So I think it's cool to let people hear that. So so lately I've been kind of doing more of like this kind of audio-video hybrid. Um, but, yeah, sometimes I, I transpose them to text and, and you know, um, whatever I can do to try and make them more interesting for people, you know. Who's your... Put it like this: Who's your who, who's your who's your Moby Dick of interviews? Who's the one person that's on that list that you wanna you refuse to quit to get that interview? Um, it's probably a lot of people, but I'll tell you I'll tell you it's kind of an odd answer, but I will say it's Tom Selleck, and here's the reason why. Well, I am a big I'm a big Tom Selleck fan. I grew up in the '80s, so I watched Magnum PI when I was a kid, and you know I like a lot of the stuff. But but I I I've twice now been told I was going to interview him only to have it fall through at the last minute. Oh man. So so now I feel like I'm now it's kinda like personal. I'm like, why does Tom Salad keep canceling on me? Like damn it, one of these days I'm gonna get that guy in an interview. And I'm sure he has nothing to do with it. He probably doesn't even know I exist. You know, I'm sure it's usually it's about scheduling and, and stuff like that. But but twice I've been you know told, okay, you're confirmed with Tom on this day at this time and then the day before have him say, Oh, sorry we had to cancel and it's like, Oh, you're killing me So so he's kinda of my white whale at the moment. But I mean there's a million people I'd love to interview. You know, obviously there's a lot of actors and directors and, and people that I'm you know I'm a big fan of but um but he's kind of the one that just because I've been so close and still haven't ever gotten it to you know, to actually happen yet. So Oh man, that that is the most random <laughs> answer I, I i i would never have expected it and, and well, you got to ask him how he maintains that mustache <laughs> uh, yeah right i know i i would love to ask him about his mustache i mean you know i could i could say like i'd love to interview somebody like spielberg or oh no you know, of course James cameron or or some of those guys you know but that's typically you know if when they give an interview it's not to even any websites it's you know it's entertainment weekly or, right. or you know and it's Time very magazine. canned What's it's not. That? It's very canned. It's not genuine. Yeah. Like I think if you had a conversation with Tom Selleck, you would get a legitimate Tom Selleck interview from from him as a person, not just him as a talking head for for a movie. You know, like I watch right. interviews with Christian Bale where he interviews twenty twenty people interview him one after the other, and it's like, yeah, you know, this movie, I you know, we put a lot of work in, and then the next interview is like, yeah, well, you know, we put a lot of work in, but I think, <laughs> right. And by the time right. it's all said and done, you you don't connect with them, and you know, exactly. You hearing that from you for Tom Selleck is just surprising because it's not number one. It's that wasn't somebody I'd expect. Right. I, I for some reason I, I would have thought you know so I, like a, like a like a loony dude like like Quentin Tarantino. Like I have a feeling he he he's <laughs> sure. probably a I'd crazy love to interview him too. Yeah, absolutely. But, but um, you know, that's awesome, man. No, it's it's one of those it's one of the nice things about being kind of a, a smaller venue compared to like your entertainment weekly and and all that is when i you know when i get people we tend to get sort of like the b to the b plus celebrities you know what i mean um you know we we're, we're not getting you know the uh you know johnny depp and, and they, they don't do interviews for sites for websites like that because they're too big but we get a lot of these people like i said you know you know robert patrick and bruce boxley and recently like you know uh i mean just all kinds of people i'm trying i can't i always forget the people that i interviewed michael moore one you know people like that um you know they're 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 still not too big that we can't we that they won't talk to us and so as a result of that a lot of times they're appreciative of you 
you know, when I was talking to Bruce Boxleitner, you know, he was very candid about the fact that he doesn't he doesn't really have the luxury of choosing roles anymore. You know, he you know he's a, an older actor. You know, he's not a huge box office. Dr- so, you know, he kind of takes what comes along and, and, you know, he was, he seemed to be appreciative of the fact that I would, you know, take the time to talk to him about this movie he was promoting and, you know, that type of thing. And, um, so it does, it does result in, I think, a more genuine, more interesting interview. And you can kind of ask, you know, whatever you want. I interviewed, um, recently, um, Will Estes, who actually co-stars with Tom Selleck on Blue Bloods. And I told him to tell Tom Selleck that he owes me one, but nothing happened with it. But anyway, he's a young guy, and I kind of said, look, man, I got like 20 questions from my Twitter followers, you know, all sorts of stuff, all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, things like about, you know, if you've gone to see Donnie Wahlberg in concert with the new kids and, and all kinds of stuff like that, you know, so are you game for like lightning rounds? And he's like, sure, go ahead. So I asked him like 20 questions. Some of them were, you know, silly. Some of them were serious, you know. I even asked them what they drink in their wine glasses around the dinner table, you know, and, and on the show. And so stuff like that is cool because, you know, I'm not dealing with these mega celebrities who are, you know, getting paid a million dollars a minute just to breathe. You know, so they they have a little more fun with it, you know, and they'll talk to you and they kind of just have a conversation rather than, like you said, that more canned, you know, they have to promote the film, have to be all positive sunshine and happiness, you know, all the time. So I think it does make for a really cool, you know, kind of realistic interview experience. Hey, I think I think that doing it that way works, and I, I too like interviewing. You, you know, I like the way we we have it structured. Given that we you know cover four different things, we get to talk to different people, and I just feel that those people kind of still have the vibe that they were they remember where they came from, and yep, they know what exactly. it's like to be you know an up and coming uh, you know blogger or site manager that's just trying to you know just talk to them as people and not talk to them. With the with with the expectation of you know monetary gain or or a soundbite that they want and you know that, right. that it's, it's a breath of fresh air for those guys so you know again not not to blow smoke up your ass but you know you, you do a great job with it and um you know to tie everything up the DVD snapshot now launches this Friday hopefully right yep, yep the new version of the site yep and um, it, go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> no, what I was going to say was, and, you know, if people wanted to keep up with you until the site goes live, I know you guys are on Facebook, which, shame on you, your Facebook's been kind of quiet, your fan page. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know, it's bad. You know what it is? I, I'm at Twitter all the way, man. I love Twitter. I'm on Twitter nonstop. If anybody follows us on Twitter, I guarantee you they will not be upset. They won't, Well, they might be upset about my opinions, but not with my lack of content. Uh, and so it's always an afterthought. It's like, oh... I should probably put that on Facebook, too, but I never get around. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just so tied into Twitter that Facebook is sort of like an, an asset for me. So I, I will get better about that. I am trying to, with, especially with the new site launching, I'm going to try and tie it all together a little more smoothly so that the Facebook will update as regularly or at least somewhat as regularly as the Twitter feed does. But, yeah, this Friday we're launching the all-newly-designed DVD snapshot. I've had the same site design for about three or four years now, and... Um, uh, I felt like it was time for a change, and I'm really excited about the site now. Um, it's a lot more user-friendly. It's a lot prettier to look at. It's got a lot more cool functionality to it, um, some neat kind of uh, you know graphic things and, and some neat interactivity that we didn't have before. Uh, just a much cleaner-looking site. I think people can find stuff a lot better. 
Um, and actually, it'll make my life a lot easier because the upkeep, the maintenance of the site is going to take up a lot less time, which will give me more time to watch more movies so I can post more reviews in a more timely fashion. So it's all a big cycle. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so Friday, that'll be live and people can come and see it and they can leave comments on reviews now and stuff like that. So it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool and I'm pretty excited. I hope people will swing by and check it out. I'll make sure to to remind people to go check it out and of course they can follow you on twitter at dvd snapshot and mm-hmm. facebook.com slash dvd snapshot and are you gonna venture into google plus also or are you kind of weighing that oh, out that's a loaded question i you know i keep toying with it i haven't yet no one's yet made a convincing enough argument for me to to say yes you have to do this um and you know again i'm so into twitter that i'm sort of like what do i need another thing like i feel like i've got everything i need with you know with twitter um that being said i don't like to be left out in the cold for anything either you know what i mean i like to be right. an innovator and not a follower so so sooner or later yes i probably will venture into it right now i've been focusing all my efforts on redesigning the site for the past few weeks but um at some point i, I will check it out and and we'll see so so if you're on google plus keep your eyes peeled i may show up there sooner or later well, I will give you one argument, and that's the Hangout feature, which we want to probably do as well. And okay. um, the, basically, the Hangouts allow you to interact via video with up to ten people. But I think uh. that, if, that, but I think the cool thing is, if you could do a screen share, you can actually uh-huh. maybe watch a movie with with ten of your with ten fans of the site. And that would mm-hmm. be a great great uh, incentive for you guys. You know, watch yeah. a short, watch a short ninety-minute movie with the people, and you know, there's a running commentary and stuff, and you can have a lot of fun with that. So you may want to give that some thought. <laughs> yeah, see, now that I didn't know because no one's bothered to tell me that yet. That yeah, the hangouts. Is very cool. Yeah, the hangouts I'll feature. That I'm, say again. The hangouts feature is it's a Google Hangout. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. So that is pretty cool, and I do like, I love, I love interacting in any way about movies, and I always like, you know, like locally try to get like movie night going you know get a bunch of people over to watch a movie and it's always tough because of schedules and you know real life gets in the way but that's good to know that there's something i could do virtually because i do have a lot of people that i interact with online that i've ended up interacting with in real life and they're all great people you know so um so that sounds that sounds cool so i will definitely check it out and if i do get into it i will definitely give you credit as the person <laughs> who influenced me <laughs> awesome well mike i appreciate you for taking us beyond the mic with DVD Snapshot, and we look forward to your relaunch on Friday. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. You got it, brother. Thanks. You've just heard My Take Radio Beyond the Mic, offered exclusively for My Take Radio app owners and Stitcher subscribers. You can listen to My Take Radio live every Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Blog Talk Radio Network. You can also follow us on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio, become a fan on Facebook, or add us to your circle on Google+. If you are using iTunes to obtain these episodes, please take a moment and rate the show. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening.